Welcome to episode 103 of the Untangled Faith podcast. Today, I have the honor of introducing you to someone whose story had some surprising intersections with the story I shared earlier of Kat and Colby Wilkins in early 2022. Bill Pritchard sat down with me to share his story, and I am eager for you to hear from him. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. Hey friends, before I share Bo's story with you, I wanted to remind you that at the end of this month, I'll be sharing an episode that celebrates that this podcast has made it past 100 episodes, and I would love to hear from you. I'll share more about how you can be a part of that at the end of this episode. Now I'll switch gears and introduce you to Bo Pritchard. I first met Bo when he attended one of the live chats that I did with Patreon supporters. He was asking some questions about a particularly sticky church situation, and I had no idea at that point that I would end up interviewing him for this podcast many months later. Last spring, Bo emailed me and told me that he had a story that intersected with one that I'd previously shared on this podcast. So I set up an introductory Zoom call, and after that call, decided it would be the right move to share his story with all of you. If you've been a listener since the beginning, you may have noticed that although I started out the show with sharing people's stories, I haven't done as much of that in the last year or so. It takes a lot of time and energy to gather and edit and share someone's personal story in a way that is true and honoring. And this situation is no exception. I think we may have had 10 recording sessions. I've done my best to edit this in a way that tells Bo's story while also allowing for the listener and myself to engage with it. I'll have some voiceover that I add here or there to summarize certain parts of our conversation and to call out some things I noticed or have been processing personally that relate to this account. I'm so glad you're here to listen to this. Here is Bo's story. As we get started, Bo, I would love it if you would just share a little bit about what led up to the big thing that you've been dealing with, with church stuff more recently. Where we come from really, you know, says a lot about where we land later on. I grew up in a sort of upper middle class family, sort of church light. Had some had some categories, you know. They occasionally sort of intersected my life, but they they certainly were not determinative in, in our, our family or how we lived. Became involved in in young life when I was in high school, having a guy talking about Jesus as a person, like a, a real living, breathing, relational person, and and that was very striking. And in fact, it was it, it was sort of the the hallmark of of young life. And so, when I was seventeen years old, uh, came to faith in Jesus. It was a very stark about face in life for me. I saw saw my need for for Christ. Saw my my sin, the futility of trying to find you know acceptance. That was like the first great move of of God in my life. As Ashley and I dated, later got married, had kids. In our young adult phase, 
we not growing up in what I would call, you know, very Christian like homes, sure. uh, great people, but we, we felt like we, we didn't really know what, what to do. And particularly with our kids that I think the biggest fear that we had was that our kids were going to turn out the way that we had and do the yeah. things that we did in high school. I can so relate to Bo's comment about how his role as a parent made him want to get things right when it came to church and faith with his kids. What parent doesn't want to protect their own kids from the mistakes that they made? So acting out of fear, never, never a great place. And it drove us into the arms of a, of a, a super fundamentalist outfit, the King James variety, the, you know, no movie theaters, no pants on women kind, but they had this nice long list of, of, of rules that, you know, if you do these things, your, your kids are going to turn out this way. And we're like, great, um, sign us up. We knew and loved God, but there was how, how to live that out was, was con- kind of confusing to us. And these folks had all the answers of how to do it. And that, worked for several years of course worked is a relative word until 10 11 years in and then then we're starting to look around us and see some of the hurts particularly family hurts parents kids living under the the oppression and the having to measure up and having to put an appearance on for, for everyone. Well, how long did it take for you to start to see, oh, this is actually hurting some people? Out of those 10 years, it was probably about uh, year seven. Okay. That's one of those, one of those, uh, you know, the imminently quotable Ryan Ramsey. I remember picking something out that he said that, you know, a, a healthy you know, faith community sees a hurting person and goes and and gathers around them to care for them. But the toxic church community sees someone hurting and looks to leadership and says, should we care about that person? Mm. And they say, no. So I I was seeing a lot of the, you know, carnage, but was told they had, they had left the the path and they had gone worldly. And so they were easy to dismiss along the way. But our our kids, I think, were having the biggest impact on us because we we were seeing that 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 tension that was created in our own home of telling them, you know, we we need you to keep up appearances. So it so by God's grace, (laughs) we really started to bring those things home for us. And that sort of set the course for a couple difficult years of looking around and asking questions. Why are we doing the things that we're doing with, you know, with, with leadership? But when we did, we were terrified. We're absolutely terrified Mm -hmm. because it was, it was like that, that movie, the village that, that there were bad people in the woods and not realizing that actually there was a wall that was we were living inside and, yeah. and so we we had been prepared that people that went into the woods were devoured so it 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 took no small amount of courage just to be able to to walk out there to figure out that 
yeah. oh, wow, there, there's like life out here. And I, I had forgotten that I actually loved Jesus and yeah. that God was kind that we didn't lose our, our children through this process because they were, you know, if up into those teenage years where we were seeing the kids go, I'm, I'm done with this nonsense all around us. Isn't that I, interesting that our role as parents, <laughs> sometimes God uses our kids to open our eyes to some things that are really broken. Mm. And also we have that fear, like that if we get it wrong, it's not just us that's, that's impacted. It's our kids. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that's your community. Those are your people. And you saying that conflating your standing in a church with your standing with God. Wow. That was powerful. It was everything. Ashley mm-hmm. taught at the church school. I was the equivalent of an, an elder. They didn't, they didn't observe elders. So the deacon board was like the hierarchy there and the power structure taught Sunday school was a bus captain. If you're, okay. you're a part of the ever dwindling IFB movement, the independent <laughs> fundamentalist Baptist unit, that is their badge is how many bus routes do they have? And Fascinating. So bus captain, Sunday school teacher, deacon, we were like on, on the rise there. And that was our everything. We moved to the Raleigh area from Virginia Beach, Virginia. So there's no family. So that, that was our family. It was everything. We didn't know we were going to yeah. lose them. We weren't prepared for being totally tossed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was our first time realizing that we were truly disposable. There's a part of me that says, oh, should, should we tell people that? Because there's this like fear in the back of my mind that someone's going to weaponize that and go, oh, see, I get it. He brought this baggage into it and he put on this other place what went on there. It makes sense now. When you say that, I just, I want you to think about the hundreds of people that are going to listen to this, thousands, maybe a couple thousand people Mm. that are going to say, I feel that same way. Mm. Will my story be discarded because it happened before? Mm. Are people going to think that I am the problem? I don't think it means that we are disqualified from being worthy of pastoral care Mm. and a community that says, you know what? Maybe you weren't perfect at your old church, but that doesn't mean that you deserve to be discarded. It doesn't mean that it was okay for the legalism to happen and the shaming to happen. Like you don't have to do everything perfectly to be worthy of being Mm. treated as a beloved child of God. You don't have to do everything perfectly for someone to be willing to believe Mm. that something really hard happened to you. And Man, it's easy to self-censor ourselves too, because we kind of know what we've done to people in the past when we were comfortable in a place and it was easier for us to believe that somebody that left was the problem. Mm -hmm. When we become the people that leave, we know because we were the people that said those things. You can't detach that from the next faith faith community experience you have. 
You can't pretend that you didn't see things that were really hard. And so it's just a part of the package when you walk in the doors of Mm. a new place. Mm -hmm. How long did it take for you to jump into a new place? Yeah, the next week. I did no small amount of harm to my wife by not recognizing how much damage that thing did. And my refrain over and over was, we just just gotta move on. I really don't give Ashley a choice, but to power through. Mm -hmm. But that's gonna come back, comes back here and there. I don't really understand when it comes back, what it exactly is, even though, you know, she's trying to articulate to me these feelings of fear of people, of community. It it was, it was never dealt with. So all that to say, we, we power on to the next place, but we pick a, a monster church in the area. We did realize that we, we were missing community and that was what sort of led us up to this next next stage it's the cheers thing everybody wants to be where everyone knows their name i'm resonating with this moving from one place to another there were some places that god met us Mm -hmm. in all of the places but you land in the most recent church that we're gonna we're gonna land on it um and talk about with this this podcast with the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating to me that Bo shared with me that although they had seen some really difficult things at that first church, it really didn't help them see red flags as they move forward. You we- you wanted community, so you left that mega church and you found yourself at a new place. Not not just community. Community okay. community was something that we wanted, but I was I was whole hog into reform theology then. And so I wanted the next place had to have, you know, every duck in a row theologically. And they had to be astute in all of their doctrine because that was going to be the key of the rest of my life was that I finally had everything in order. I I finally understood who God was, how he relates to man. I'm chuckling a little bit. (laughs) Like I was wrong before. I know. I have figured it out now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The audience is supposed to be laughing during this. (laughs) Um, Note for the audio. So... I finally got everything systematized. I, I've read all the systematics, read <laughs> all the commentaries, I've listened to all the people that get it and understand. And so I need to find a place that subscribes to this and the, the people, you know, that come along with it. Yeah. But the, the thrust was these people are going to know the right things because if you, and this, this will be a, a theme, if you get your orthodoxy right, then your orthopraxy will be a natural outgrowth. There's no way that you cannot know the right things and then not do the right things. All you got to do is get the right, 
stuff in your brain because you're a brain on a stick. It, it's a total, total denial, you know, of this embodied spirit that we, we do have, you know, bodies and emotions. Those things don't matter so long as you feed the computer the right information. And that was what I wanted. I yeah. thought. Yeah, that sounds like another, like, assurance of like everything's going to be okay mm -hmm. it's not the rules i need to worry about it's the knowing and having the knowledge and if the knowledge yeah. is right mm -hmm. everything's going to be okay yeah, exactly i keep seeing over and over again the pull of the assurance that if you do the thing the right thing you will have the right outcome mm -hmm. i mean that's that's the prosperity gospel but we wouldn't say that in the reformed church yeah so yeah, I think it's really helpful for people to see the journey. You learned some things and you left some things behind by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. God uses imperfect people, but he also says, you don't have to stay here where it's destroying mm -hmm. you and your mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. I think important, important thing to, to note in that, in the, in the church break breakup thing is that it had been sort of drilled into us that notion that that membership in a church was akin to marriage, that you did not dissolve it. Yeah. Leaving places was, was not a light thing at all. It, yeah. it felt, it felt like, like divorce. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important to say, Bo, because I think some people that, from the outside that look at stories like that, they say, this person is just a serial quitter mm. that just leaves places. If you say that, you don't realize how much so many of us don't want to be the person that leaves. We thought we were going to be at the place forever. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to be the leaving people. We wanted to be the staying people. So they use covenant language that you are covenanting. It, it was very interesting that this strong covenant language, just as soon as, as you started voicing some objections to things, that the very first words that were used for to, towards us was, how can you stay like this? Maybe, maybe it's time that you find a place that you're more in line with. Mm -hmm. uh, like, where is that coming from? What That's happened to the covenant? You know, this is this later, but sitting across from the one of the associate pastors that w had been tasked with, you know, managing me, um, him sitting across the table saying, I don't understand how you can stay and and looking at him just like I must be a crazy person. Like, yeah. because these are the people that I love. This is my yeah. family. What do you mean? I covenanted with these people. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm still here. I hope you don't miss the gravity of the decision that many folks make when it comes to leaving a church that most people believe that they would be in forever. Around this time, our, our oldest started college and the, the college he was attending, the local college and seminary, we went there for a convocation. And... There was a, a guy 
that was giving the message. And there was something that sort of clicked with me about him. He was a, a combination of very, very well-spoken, stoic, very heady. And those, those things were very, very appealing to me. And they signaled to me, he knows what he's doing. We need to, to figure out what churches is. That was the intro. We had moved over to this very large church. We knew that it, it had a lifespan on it because it, it, it was far away. The anonymity was nice for a period of time, but there was a point in time where we did want to be someplace a little smaller to know people and to, and to be known. What's interesting to me is when you hear something that feels sort of familiar, we're not really good at recognizing whether the familiar should be drawing us in or if we should be like, is this familiar good or familiar mm. neutral or familiar mm -hmm. maybe not good? <laughs> but you felt comfortable. Like this was like, oh, he knows what he's talking about. And in, and in hindsight, I, I think it, it, it fed into that idea of this guy seems like my kind of people. That was one thing that we definitely felt when that first church went sour mm -hmm. was being so much a part of the, the us crowd. And then how stark it was when we realized that we were, we were them. We never experienced, even when we were out at this, this mega church, just because we didn't know anyone that, that we were ever a part of the, the us again. We just continued mm -hmm. on the fringes as, you know, some, some less than us crowd. I, I think that was a big part of us, of me feeling like, I think we can be a part of the, the us again. Yeah. I could see myself being an us with that kind of a leader. Mm -hmm. And with the experience that you had in your past church, I think it's easy to think, all right, that was a one-off. This is our chance to redo it and have it be good. And you've gotten rid of some of that legalism. And mm -hmm. maybe that solves the problem. It feels like another chance at community and family. Before we go the first time, just, just to let you know the level of commitment that we had of, of making sure that they had everything right, was that I, I listened to probably three months of sermons online. This was where I was at at the time. I mean, I was just consuming large amounts of information, whether it was written or whether they were sermons. Did you have any red flags in what, 12 no. hours of sermons? Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't looking for any. I, I oh, wouldn't okay. have even known what they would have been. And the, the things that are clear to me now weren't clear to me then. Yeah, well, this, it just fascinates me. The mindset you were in of listening to all of these was not looking for something. I can imagine listening in that 2011 version, version mm. 2.0, Bo, and thinking, this is going to help me figure out how to fit in. This is going to help me figure out how I need to do things. Yeah. Not to listen to think, is this where God would have me. You're totally right. It was, you know, and in, in, in hindsight, a very sort of utilitarian type of approach. He seemed to me like he knew all of the answers. By the time you listen to that many hours, you're like, I'm already going, or we're going, unless For the sure. church is on fire when we show up. 
Yeah, unless unless there were like passing snakes around, this was it. And so whether whether we fit in with the people or not, it, it was a, a side consideration. And and we didn't really for for a while. But that first service, I'd listened to the preceding three months of sermons. So I am picking up like right where they're at. The the, the most memorable thing out, out of that service were the one family that we met, which will play a big part of our the story. Very kind, friendly, outgoing family made a big impression on us and they're dear friends today. And then an interaction that I had with someone that I would later learn was an elder at the church. We're leaving, standing outside front door, making a little chit chat. And this fellow approaches us. Hello, I'm so-and-so. Where are y'all from? And ask if we were attending any church in the area, said that we were, asked if we were members there, said that we were, and then asked why we were here and <laughs> said, you know, it just didn't, you know, end really great. There were some, some reasons. And, and, his, and his response was, have you gone back to them and made those things right? And it wasn't, what were those things? Hey, I'd love to hear about them. Maybe we can grab some, some coffee. I'd like to hear about your story. But have you gone back to them? You need to go back to them. But, but my response to it, Amy, was yes. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. Because they are watching out over the flock. I am so a you were like, enemy. yeah. I should go do that. Well, I wasn't going to do that. I, <laughs> because I, I already knew, I already knew what had happened. There was no point, but the fact that, that there was this protectiveness over that body and that I was a potential interloper, that was very appealing to me. It reassured you. It did. It did. And, but that, that interaction took me several years to be able to properly categorize into what what was behind it because it, it was a hallmark of of how the church functioned and how leadership viewed people and, and how they interacted with people that's sort of the meta story around all of this is that is that they they viewed people through a of, of, of transactions, not relationally. So if someone says X, transactions require you to respond in this way. And, and once you have, once you've dispensed that, your obligation is fulfilled and, and you can move on. And, and as I said, it, it would have seemed very appropriate if you wanted to relate to someone that you'd seek to understand why exactly was it that you left this church but those kind of things i was not thinking about at the time so it yeah. seemed great what was it like to get involved did you just sign up for all the things right away 
it was a slow walk. I, we were very content to listen to sermons, figure out the people, the North Raleigh part of, of where we live has a, a very distinct feel to it. And, and we're, we are a little bit more on the outskirts of, of Wake County, which is the okay. county that encompasses Raleigh and a few other cities. And North Raleigh has this particular vibe that, that feels challenging to sort of break into. And so, and so we encountered some of that. So it, it, it took you, some, the vast amount of it was, okay. was, was perception still yeah. feeling like we're, you know, we're, we're on the out crowd and figuring out how to make our way into this new community and of a people that live in the part of Raleigh that we haven't normally been spending a lot of time with. Crazy. Yeah. So you found, you were finding your way slowly, you said. So mm-hmm. it didn't happen all at once. Were you finding out who your people were? Were you making friends? How, how did that happen? We figured out some people that, that we could be friendly with, had a couple lunch dates with a couple of the staff members. And, and so some of that stuff was going on, but we were still didn't know really quite yet where we belonged. For how long did it feel that way? Ooh, a few years. That's interesting. Yeah, For a few years, you weren't sure how you belong, but you did you consider like, maybe we're not supposed to be here? Not really. Now, now we became increasingly involved even okay. through these three years. We came from a, a background and a mindset. What was this expression? If you sit, you sour. That, that was what we got from the from the hyper fundamentalist place. And so the yeah. answer to, to not feeling involved was to, to get busy in some ministries that right. the antidote. And right. But you internalize this message of, I, I know I need to, I know what the right thing is. I've been taught the right thing to the right way to be in church. Mm-hmm. And it's to slowly get more and more involved. Yeah. Maybe not slowly, but at least be moving in that up into the right direction that Chuck DeGroat talks about and how we measure that. Like I'm a member. I am am in the men's Bible study. I showed up for the, you know, community service event. Mm -hmm. I didn't just show up to the one time a week thing. Now I'm doing the two times, you know, this is how that's the easiest way that leaders have to measure. It's harder to, you know, quantify mm-hmm. the other things and people like you and I that want to do the right thing and want to be like winning at church, mm-hmm. winning at being a Christian. We're like, okay, thanks for telling me the way. Cause I can follow the rules. It's so easy to do a checklist. You're acknowledged, you advance in, in responsibility and recognition. We are applying all the business things like mm-hmm. here are your key performance indicators, right? Mm-hmm. I'll give you your review, Bo. You've been at the church for a year. Let me give you your annual checkup, your annual review. Well, I'll here tell is you. where you are strong, and here are your your growth potentials. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what my one year review was. My one year review. I get a. I should just say an invite. I want to say like summoned, but it, 
it feels yeah. like a summon in hindsight. An invite for lunch with the senior pastor. You know, there's a few minutes of back and forth of, you know, just garden variety things that you any two humans would talk about. I have learned and come to learn that that there's that there's always business to transact and that there is a, a turnabout very sharply somewhere in the conversation where you find out why it is that you're there with him. And so he moved on to, you've been here for a year. What do you plan to do? I am not really sure. And we're still trying to kind of figure things out. Not really settled right now. Things ended very poorly at the and, and when I and when I reference the previous church, I really don't include that interim place, but it, it was that first 10, 11 year segment at the fundamentalist place. They they ended really badly. It was pretty hard. And we're just kind of trying to find our way right now. And and so he said, Well, you've been here for a year. That's that's normally all the time. That, that we want to give someone. And so you really need to decide what you're going to do to either join or move on. I don't want you hanging around out without joining. So how do, how do you think I, I took that? Oh, you may be surprised. I don't know, because you've surprised me in some of this. I thought it was awesome. Okay. I, I didn't. I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have guessed either I, I, I'm projecting myself on you. I would have felt like oh, I have let him down. I haven't become a member. I'm so sorry. I feel terrible. Oh, well, well there's definitely that. This this was like that elder saying, what are you doing here? Oh. And so this was, again, someone that is that is protecting the body. I don't want you hanging out here anymore. I'm, you know. Why I, hadn't you become a member yet at that point? So... There was, there was a little bit, even though, like I said, the first time we talked that there was a lot of suppression of those, of that hurt from the first place, it was still trying to kind of find its way through. So there was a level of discomfort that we would have felt anywhere. And so didn't trust myself very much that lingering hurt was making it difficult to to feel really at peace about it and having been taught my whole life not to trust my feelings it was just that that conflict that i turned if i can't trust my feelings then i can call my feelings a thought process and and get hung up in in right thinking so I still did the same thing. I just sort of relabeled it. Just didn't didn't feel like we could we could do it. A lot of it, I think, kind of boiled down to not knowing whether we were at home or not. So now you've been challenged to become a member. We had already gone through their membership process. It's like a seven week Sunday morning thing. This becomes comical later on in the story of their high value that they place on membership and on a regenerate membership. But again, these things are very confirmatory to me 
of how much they prize the body and the protection of it. This fed all into those very things that, that we were looking for. From that, we went ahead and moved on through it and joined the church, covenanted ourselves with the church. That would be their, their language. That you, do you feel like you had waited because you were taking it seriously and you didn't want to do it lightly? Yes, because I, I, I had this notion of with church membership. It, it was as closely akin to marriage as I think anything that I could, that I really had a category for. And we had already divorced from this first church. And I, yeah. I never imagined when we were there that that, that relationship was ever going to end and and it burned down to the ground and so that that is in my mind i have one more shot you know at this thing the idea of the church shopper the church hunter it, it was just a, a hard thing for me to wrap my head around because there was supposed to be this committed intimacy between church body and member so we joined. And lived happily ever after. It was pretty much how it went. So it is. That's exactly why you're here. Were there some really good, wonderful moments? I, I know my answer is yes, but they're very hard to be able to extricate yeah. out of the the stuff that burned down around it right now. I, I don't think it'll always be like that, but it's it, it's like a... You know, the house burned down and there are some family pictures. Everything uh, is impacted by that burning yeah. down. Even and, yeah. and they didn't get burned. They actually got like covered up by something. But mm -hmm. I, I just don't know where they are right now. There are definitely sweet moments surrounding the people who, who still love us. And, and it's easy to go back to those those moments in time, the first time we met them, the first time we learned something about them, the first time they had us to their home, those events, even as I'm like going yeah. through the ashes in my head, start sort of rising up. But here, here's the thing. This is clarity. The things I start remembering are not transactions. They're not mm -hmm. events. They're relationships. This is the meta narrative around the story is mm -hmm. is relationships versus transactions and so those are the things that i'll i'll carry with me and that ashley and i will carry with us what i am seeing in really healthy communities and healthy people is that offer of relationship that doesn't say if you aren't at this church we're done and that's conditioned on something like you said transactional the like we care about you as a person. We happen to have a shared faith, which is and can be really wonderful. And also the open handedness that says, God is going to do his work. And I don't know what it is. My friendship is not dependent on you continuing to check the boxes off at the institution that we are both attached to. This language of it, it's so ingrained to me. I sort of refined it over the course of the last like year and a half of this difficulty of of transaction versus relational. 
And it, it became so clear in my head as we're trying to sort out what is going wrong here. Why in the world does it seem like we're speaking different languages when we're together, when we're trying to communicate things? And, and so the most often asked question that I get is, do you think they really like meant all of the harm that they did? And, and I get it's an honest feeling question, but it's probably the wrong question. And the only way that I, I felt like I, I had some kind of way to be able to communicate this paradigm to someone was, was using this idea of having a transaction with someone versus living in relationship with someone. The, the traditional relationship was you go to an elder and you say, I'm having a difficulty with X, X sin. Can, can you help me? And they go, yes, I certainly can. Have you read this verse? Have you memorized this verse? And I have an article. Can you read that, consume that information, and then go and move forward from it? That would have been transacting business with someone. And that is a firmly held paradigm of ministry at this church versus, and, and so this is another spoiler alert, you know, halfway through this time, someone comes to our church who, who starts introducing this kind of new form of, of relating to people and interacting to people. And you, you say, Hey, you ask the same question. I'm really struggling with this in my life. And the first answer you get is, I'm so sorry. That sounds really hard. Can we talk about it? Can we have coffee? Can I hear, you know, who you are, who your what your background is, what your story is? Different than what you yeah. just described previously. I don't have a fix for you, but, but what I have for you is, is that I want to be there with you. I want to walk yeah. with you through it. And, and most importantly, we have, we have a father who draws near to those who are brokenhearted and hurt. And he's not transacting business with you. This is the thing that become, that starts to, to radiate from these interactions. I, I see this, this guy embodying the God who draws near to his people rather than standing afar off issuing truth statements that, that need to be acted upon. And that was strangely revolutionary. And it brought all, all of these events that are going to come out into such a clear focus that it became completely untenable for, for these two groups of people to, to coexist and live together. That's fascinating. It was so intolerable, intolerable for them. I so enjoy this conversation with Bo as he is attempting to share this experience that happened with his family um, in as honest of account and retelling as possible, while also including some introspection and a little bit of peek into what is coming next. It, I think it adds such a richness to this story. Obviously, Bo wouldn't be on this podcast if everything was going to go perfectly as he goes forward. And so I was curious about 
when did things start to seem like they might not be all right? One of these first red flag moments that Bo explained to me was about a situation in which he was having a conversation with the associate pastor and the associate pastor says, Hey, I really love how you communicate this. Will you come with me to talk with the senior pastor and kind of share your thoughts on this? He said, will you come and tell the senior pastor that? Because I think he'll understand it. And I go, uh, sure. And so he sets up this, this meetup. We come into his office and the associate says, tell him what you told me. And so I kind of walked through this and I figured out very quickly, he, this was not going well. He's looking at the associate and looking back at me and finally calls him by name and says, you brought him in here for this and then told me, why are you telling me this? Have you told the head of this ministry? And I'm like, oh no, I, I, I felt like really bad for this associate because even at that early at early time, not really knowing the dynamics there in the office that he's going to catch hell. I mean, there was such a tenseness of how dare you bring him in here for this. That was my first, my first awkward experience with the senior. And it ended in a particularly strange way. So we get done. And he says, have I said something that I need to repent of? And I was like, I, I, no, of course not. I'd never heard this expression before. I don't call it an expression anymore. I call it a a manipulation tool now. I, I, I know why it's used. But back then, I heard this as a sign of humility that I am humbling myself, that I want to know if I've done something wrong or not. Later on, it's used saying, I ask you if I did something and you said I didn't. He used it with everyone. It was was the perfunctory end of every conversation. I left there both thinking that it was humble and I told Ashley when I got home, he must have been told a lot of times how hard he is. Why else would he be asking this question? Do you feel like he was saying, I might be wrong? I might have messed up? No, no, no. I, even then, I don't think he was, I didn't come away feeling that. Okay. I, I came away feeling that he wanted to know what my perception was. Okay. I, he, he would have never never have confused that with an intent of his. And he becomes very, very clear on this over the next 10 years. And this is a, an off repeated phrase. If I didn't intend something, then I had nothing to apologize for. And so this, this had to do with how did you perceive me? There was one older gentleman in our church who came up with a very good response to this query, which was, how the heck do I know? You have the Holy Spirit. You tell me. I would hear that expression. All, all of us would for a long, a long time. And I tell you the, the number of times 
that I wasn't even home from a meeting where I was like, oh, why did I say that? Now I'm sort of going through my head of how the conversation went and, and I'm picking things that, oh, but like, I, I can't say something now. And, and so somewhere along the way, I finally stopped answering the question just to give myself that out to be able to come back to it. And again, we're shifting the burden onto the other person. He's not ruminating or, or exploring his own motives, his own intentions. He's offshoring them to another person. It's one of those things that you have to experience going badly to really question whether that was a great way to do things. Because it can seem like, oh, wow, just checking in to make sure everything's okay. But when you zoom out or something goes poorly, you realize, oh, man, that's not the way. It's that clarity through through an accumulation of events and experiences that that start to go bad where you start to examine all of those patterns that have been set up that you you thought were there and meant for for your own good so this is the you know have you gone back to the other church the you've been here for a year you need to join or move on fish or cut bait and have i said something that i need to repent of the the heart behind them once you start getting a, a bigger picture, you start to see some of the, some of the motivations behind them and they're not just transactional in nature, but they're manipulative and they, they are driving a, an expected end. As you talk about this, Bo, I, I hear all the introspection that you've done and the work you've done to do the sense making of the whole thing. And I think that's one of the really valuable things about when we tell our story is when we are like, I'm not saying this just to be salacious about a story, but it really helps to when you are able to tell something over and over again. And as you're thinking through it, it's not necessarily ruminating in a bad way. It's sense-making where you're like, oh yeah, this didn't make sense. Now it makes sense. Oh, here's what I've seen. How does that feel if you try on that like explanation? We get a chance to try on different explanations for things and mm. see if they fit our situation. And I think that is just so valuable to uh, have that zoom out. That, that trying on language is, is very helpful and to expand on it. It's not like going into the dressing room at the store and putting on some shoes and checking, uh, does my toe fit? Are they tight? It's like ordering them off of Amazon to try it and you keep them for a week. Maybe even go and take a run in them and see if you can send them back or something. But you're actually where you're, you're living in them for a little bit. Yeah. That, that's the feel of, of arriving at these explanations is because I've, I've, I've worn them for a while and they're yeah. fitting now. That's very helpful language. It reminds me of a counseling approach, especially when you're dealing with any kind of struggle, suffering, rather than you telling someone, here's a verse that explains what you're going through, of giving someone a, a verse or two of the Psalms and asking them to read it and say, is how you're feeling, is that something like that? Is that kind of how you're feeling? 
You're essentially asking the same question. Yeah. Does that fit with your experience? Whether it fits or not, you're not telling them this is your size. You're giving the agency to the person rather than labeling somebody's feelings and experiences. Mm. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Does it fit right? I don't know. Only you know. Um, That's a dangerous deal for these for these folks because you, you are giving up your control and agency. Um, you're, you're not assessing where the person is. You're not making the diagnosis. You're not choosing the article for them to read or the verse that they need to memorize. This is anti-transaction. And that agency thing becomes a very important part of this story. I mentioned earlier as I was kicking off this episode that Bo and I sat down and I think we had 10 or more recording sessions. And so that's just to say we are going to have probably at least three episodes that tell the narrative of Bo's experience with with their churches. But I liked this as an ending for today to talk about this idea of sense making. When I think about sharing someone's story on the podcast, I think about whether it's a good time for it. I think about what is the point of it. I think about how it can be helpful for somebody. That is one thing that I've come back to time and time again, is that there is value in telling our stories because it helps us in this sense-making process. I'm positive I heard that as one of the one of the stages that Wade Mullen talks about, which he probably heard from someone else. Um, one of the stages in healing from something really painful is the sense-making process. And so I'm sure you have noticed that theme to our conversation today. Bo and I are both sense-making as this story is unfolding which involves going back and forth in the timeline a little bit and thinking through what is the meta narrative as Bo has said. And I hope that you caught that in this is that the, there is so much value in the sense making. And as we make sense of, of our stories and as we notice themes and patterns, it becomes so much easier to, to lean into those things that we need to learn to offer empathy and grace for ourselves and to think through what it is that the Holy Spirit is working on our own hearts and doing in us. So I'm so glad that you are here for this sense-making journey. I am so thankful for Bo and his willingness to share his story. Make sure that you are subscribed or following this podcast so that you don't miss the next several episodes where we walk through what happened next with Bo and Ashley and their experience at their church. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already, check out the show notes. That's where you can go to find the link that you can use to send me a personal message sharing what you have loved about the podcast. I plan to use your voices in an upcoming episode to celebrate that we have made it past 100 episodes. You can find that by going to untangledfaithpodcast.com slash hello. Again, you can find that in the show notes. The Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pianic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.